Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Hey, 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 good morning, South Valley. Happy New Year. Woohoo! It's 2023. Yes. Brand new year. We have some exciting things going on here. Uh, we have a guest with us that we're excited to have with us this morning. Uh, he's a dear friend of Pastor Ricky's, uh, and he's going to share his heart and his passion of what's going on in his life. Uh, heard him first service. Just very powerful message to start this year off. Uh, in 2016, he felt led uh, to just step out in faith, and he'll tell you more about this, but he planted a church in the heart of Los Angeles to meet the needs of the challenged people in different socio and economic economic areas of Los Angeles so that they would know the true uh, love of Christ and be able to encounter Christ in a rich and deep way. It is called Thrive LA. So he has been there. He also works with uh, some other uh, different groups to be able to, again, promote kingdom work. And he's going to share some of that. But it's such an honor to have him with us this morning. We want to welcome to the stage Pastor Andrew Alesso. Morning. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Again, my name is Andrew, and it's good to be here in Lemoore. I was telling last service, I was here in my teen years. I was on the wrestling team in high school in Lancaster, California. I came and wrestled at a tournament at Lemoore High School. So I don't know if I would call this a homecoming, but it's good to be back again. And uh, I've known your pastor, Pastor Ricky, since my teen years as well, when we both had uh, crazy spiky hair and uh, and we were, or at least I was getting into lots of trouble. And so it's, uh, it's good to be here. He's a good friend of mine, and we came up in the ministry together as interns together and pastors together and have worked together. And so I've been following your journey from afar, from Los Angeles. I've been seeing the little updates and following you on social media and hearing some of Rick's sermons. And so it's been so great. I've prayed for you often, and it's great to be here with you. As, uh, as John mentioned, I pastor at a church in Los Angeles. We started the church. My wife and I moved into uh, an apartment in Los Angeles uh, with a two-month-old baby and uh, sort of a plan. Uh, and <laughs> we're like, we want to tell people about Jesus. And we started in coffee shops just talking about Jesus. We had one couple move to the city with us, and we sort of built it uh, sort of brick by brick and day by day, person by person, praying for people. We, every day, all day, just went out into the community and volunteered and met people. And nine months before we met another Christian and any of those efforts, met hundreds and hundreds of people. And of course, 14 million people in urban Los Angeles. And we just wanted to start something for a neighborhood so that people who didn't have uh, relationships with people who knew Jesus could hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's been a great journey and it's been exciting, but I also love that God is at work here and it's such a gift to be here. I get the chance to kick off a new series, the I Am series, in which as a church over the next several weeks, you'll be exploring some of the I Am statements of Jesus Christ. In the book of Exodus, when God revealed his name to Moses, Moses said, who shall I say sent me when he's gonna go rescue the people? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. And he utters the holy name of God, uh, Yahweh, which means I am that I am. And of course we learn that that God is full of mercy and compassion 
compassion and by no means clears the guilty. And he's this God of love and justice. And so as we come to the book of John, we're going to see that Jesus says, hey, I am. And he identifies with that God. And so you'll get to hear about Jesus being the light of the world and him being, uh, you know, the, the gate and the shepherd and every good thing, the true vine. And today we're going to talk about Jesus being the bread of life. And so when we talk about the bread of life, we talk about Jesus being our everything and our provision. As somebody who had to start a church, I had to learn a lot about God providing. Uh, my nature, maybe you're not like this, but the way I'm wired, I try really hard to make my plans work, right? And then sometimes along the way, I'm like, oh shoot, I should probably consult God about this. And I had one of those uh, memories and one of those journeys when we were beginning to start the church. We, our very first Bible study met in a deli on Sunset Boulevard. If you've ever been down to Hollywood, Sunset Boulevard is a major street that goes across the whole city of Los Angeles. Our church is between Hollywood and downtown Los Angeles, right near Dodger Stadium. And so our first meeting was in a deli on Sunset at Boulevard, uh, but we truthfully were not looking to be in a deli. We wanted a hip, cool coffee shop uh, that young people would come to. And so there was a great coffee shop slash bookstore where we thought we were going to have this great uh, opportunity to, to have a, a time together. And the manager of the bookstore said, yeah, we're open on Wednesday evenings. Come, the whole patio will be open for you. And we came and did a test run. There was not a seat on the patio. There was no place for us to meet. There was no parking. It was impossible. On top of that, that day, my wife and I drove down early. My wife was eight and a half months pregnant with our first. He's six now. And, uh, and so just before we started, uh, we, I have another one now and a third on the way. And so, but God's grown our family over that time. But we, just then she was eight and a half months pregnant with our first. And we had met with a leader in the community and told him we were going to start a church. And he said, this city is going to eat you up and spit you out which was really encouraging. And so he said that to us. Then we went to our venue and found out it wasn't gonna work. And we were standing on a bridge on Sunset Boulevard. My wife was like, my feet hurt, I can't walk anymore. And I was like, we can't go home without a venue. <laughs> and so we were standing on a bridge and we didn't know what to do. So we did our last resort thing, which was we finally prayed. And we're there on the bridge and we're like, God, we don't know what to do. We don't have a plan. We told people there's a meeting next week. We need a space please help. And we continue walking. We like, and then we're like, all right, let's go solve it. There's another coffee shop down the road. We're like, maybe they'll let us meet there. And this guy in a red apron is like, hey, what are you looking for? And we're like, we, we don't, not right now, not right now. You know, there's like a lot of people. You're like, we don't, you know, we're not just like trying to talk to strangers on the street. Well, at least that's what we thought. He goes, hey, no, seriously, where are you trying to go? And we're like, we're going to a coffee shop. Don't worry about it. He goes, do you want to come to my deli? We're like, no. Uh, he's like, what do you need? And so finally, in like exasperation, I go, well, our church needs a place to meet and we're looking for a place that's open in the evenings that can host groups. But you're just like a little deli with a tiny room and you're not open at night. So it's, it's all good. And he goes, you can meet here. And I was like, what? What do you mean? He goes, well, I'm not open, but you could just have the keys. And so he gave us the keys <laughs> and he was like, yeah, take coffee, like take, like take food, like, you know, don't take too much, but like whatever you guys need. We're like, oh, you, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> uh, but it was one of those moments for us 
where in all, and maybe you've been there, where I'm doing all my human machinations, right? Like all my human's efforts of, I, I've got to make my plan and execute, and I've got to go to school and get that job and do that and have this conversation with my spouse and all the things we try to do to fix things and make things better. And sometimes it's good stuff. God, I'm doing this for you. And really what God wants is us just to ask him what he wants. And really what God wants is for us just to slow down and go, God, I need you. When we talk about Jesus being the bread of life, we're talking about coming to a place where you're like, God, you're enough. God, you have what I need. God, I'm going to lay down my planning, my scheming, my thinking I have all the answers. And God, I'm going to depend on you. We're going to read John 6, 35 to 40, and then all of the surrounding context of the story along the way to, to really find the, the pregnant meaning in these verses. Read with me, John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up on the last day. What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? We're going to talk about four things today. I'm going to give them to you on the front end, and then we'll go through them one at a time. The first thing is that Jesus has proven he can satisfy our needs. He says, you will never hunger or be thirsty again. The second thing is, Jesus is God, the I am, God, come down from heaven. He says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of God. The third thing is that Jesus gives everlasting life through his death and resurrection. He says here, believe in me and you will live and be raised on the last day. And then finally, the call to action that we're going to hear today is that we must feast on the words and the ways of Jesus Christ to have vitality in our daily life. That if Jesus really is the one who can satisfy our needs, God from heaven, who gives eternal life, that life, it lasts forever, but it begins now. And in Jesus, we can find the spiritual nourishment we need to truly live. 
start with point one. Jesus has proven he can satisfy our needs. He says, those who come will never hunger or thirst. You know, church, I want to remind you, Jesus is good to us. Jesus is good. Yeah, clap for that. Jesus is good. Amen. He's really good. He's loving and kind. He cares about us. He's there for us. The context of John 6 is that Jesus had just gathered a crowd and the crowd gathered because he was healing people. He was casting out demons, healing their spiritual and mental and emotional afflictions. And he was feeding them. He was caring for the poor, the outcasts, the hungry, the hurting. And so they came to him because he was good. And they would hear rumors about, man, this person with Jesus, and then they could walk again. This, this person came to Jesus and he had words of encouragement for them. And th that person went to Jesus and they heard a message and it made them feel better. And this rumors and this gossip was spreading around, man, this guy is good. So they all come together, huge crowds. It's getting late into the night. And Jesus is like, man, these people need to eat. And they go, well, we only have a couple of loaves and fish. And he looks at his disciples and he goes, in me, that's enough. And so go share it. And each of the disciples, they go and they feed 5,000 men, probably 10, 12, 15,000 people. And there's enough for all of them. And Jesus has something for everyone. And they each eat. Because God cares for their needs. And he wants his disciples to care for their needs. And so they each have a basket of bread left over at the end for themselves to see how Jesus was able to provide for them and through them. Jesus is good. You came to church because Jesus is good. <laughs> You, you heard, you know, somebody told you, somebody brought you, you heard a rumor. Yeah, I started going and man, I was able to start managing my addictions and man, I learned how to forgive and my marriage got healthier and oh man, it was so crazy. I went there and people were nice to me and I didn't feel as lonely anymore. And, and then you, you were like, how, you heard that from a friend. You were, how do I get in on that? Like, that's good. How much does that cost? <laughs> Do you have to take a pill? Like, like, what do, like, what do I do? Like, like, just tell me the, like, the plan. I went in on that. That sounds good. We all come to Jesus that way, right? And so maybe it was a parent who experienced God's goodness and wanted you to have that. Maybe there were some tough experiences and so you're like, well, I don't know how good that is. But fundamentally, man, God is good and he provides. But listen to his words in verse 26. They come there, they chase after him. So he feeds them and then he goes to the other side of the lake. He walks on water. They come chase down, they find him. They're like, where are you? We want you. So he asks them this question in John 6, 26. He says, truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So I should say he answers their question of where he is. And he says, you're looking for me because you want a free lunch. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one 
he has sent. Jesus is here is saying something really profound and important for us. Yes, I can meet every one of your physical needs. I can give you food. I can give you shelter. I could get you that job. I could answer any of those prayers. He says, but at some point in your spiritual journey, you have to look beyond the gifts to the giver. At some point, it has to be less about me doing every good thing for you so that you can have your perfect church experience. Oh, I liked that message. It felt good. Oh, the, the music was good today. And oh, the small group, these are people that I get along with. At some point, it has to kind of get beyond that surface level of what you're getting out of it. And at some point, what you have to be getting out of it is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus himself. Don't work for the food that spoils. Set your eyes on something greater. When we moved to start the church, we were living out in the suburbs and we had a, a house that we owned and it was really nice and uh, it was sort of a comfortable, easy life. And we moved into the city. And in that process, our rent doubled, but our housing sized in half. And we moved into a one-bedroom apartment in uh, not the nicest part of the neighborhood that we were trying to reach. And, but we were praying, God, give us something for our neighbors. And I remember it was miraculous. We moved in and our neighbors were like, oh, we've heard of you. I have a cousin who heard you give a sermon on this in Lancaster. We knew you were coming. So oh, we prayed for our neighbors. That was pretty literal. Okay, like our next door neighbor, like knew we were coming. That's kind of, when you, and you have these miracle God moments when you're putting yourself out there in faith. And we've been fortunate to experience some of those. But you know what? We, we thought we were doing pretty good. Like, oh, look at us, God. We're sacrificing. We're moving into this place. We're doing this for you, Lord. And then we met somebody in our building who noticed we were new. This neighbor didn't really speak a lot of English, but they could tell that we were the outsiders. And they welcomed us into their home and they would feed us and care for us. And they could see we had this little baby and we were overwhelmed and we didn't know what we were doing. And sometimes the dad would just play with our baby while we sat down and ate food that the mom cooked. And they were a little older than us. Their kids were our age. And they had lived in that apartment for 26 years and they had four kids living with them in that apartment. There were six of them in their apartment. And we come in and we think, oh, we're gonna be heroes. We're gonna save the city. We're sacrificing for you, God. Look at, oh God, you know, you're welcome. And, and then we realized something. When we had these friends who were so hospitable to us and they opened their home to us and they cared for us and they actually came alongside us, even though we thought we were gonna come give them some sort of message. And I realized something. Being satisfied in life has almost nothing to do with what you have. Being satisfied in life has almost nothing to do with what you have. Now, don't get me wrong. God is good. He cares for you. If you're in a place of suffering, of heartache, of need, I want you to hear that. God cares. Jesus came, and when he brought the kingdom, it was good, and it was generous, and it was kind. 
But some of those things are temporary. And God wants to love you forever. And God wants to meet you where you are. And Jesus came among us. And I want you to hear this. And he can give you something that truly satisfies. We've experienced this. I just got to get that promotion. Then you get the promotion and you find that you don't like your new coworkers <laughs> and you're still not invited to that budget meeting, <laughs> right? Or you're like, man, I just need to get that degree and then I'll be able to work in my career. And then you get the degree and you find out you don't even like the career. <laughs> or you get into it and it doesn't work out the way you thought. Man, I, I need to start a family. God, why won't you give me a family? Like, I, I wanna get married. And then you get married. And you're like, how do I feel more lonely now than before? That's, yeah, there's some awkward chuckles. Yeah, um, those are hard things to talk about, right? But life is messy. And the things we think will satisfy us don't always because satisfaction has to come from somewhere deeper and it has to come from heaven, which is the second thing. Jesus came down from heaven. Verse 30. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Okay, he just fed 15,000 people with five loaves of bread. And they're like, hey, could you give us a sign you ever have God try to tell you something that you're just not ready to hear? <laughs> That's one of these situations. God's like, I have something for you. I know your need. I'm ready to meet it. We're like, when are you going to do it? Okay, that was one of these moments. They're like, give us a sign. And then they remembered a sign in the Old Testament. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus here quotes from Exodus chapter 16. When the people of God were in slavery, God raised up Moses and God, and who will I say sent me? I am has sent you. So he goes to them. You may remember there's 10 plagues, it's firstborn son and Passover happens. By the way, this meal is happening around Passover. Passover happens. God splits the Red Sea. They come out the other side. And they're like, now we're in the wilderness. God, how are you gonna provide for us? So God provides manna from heaven. Manna was a word that means, what is it? It was just this, it came down and it was on the ground and they were like, I guess we'll eat it. And it was basically like a bread for them. And God provided Every single day for 40 years, bread from heaven. And so the listeners to Jesus, they're like, hey, just prove it. Just prove it like, like Moses did. And we would believe. Now he just did that. He's like, man, it's hard for you to believe. It's hard for you to see. If you remember the story in Exodus, they start eating the bread for a while and then they start complaining. And they actually say that it's the wildest thing in the whole Bible to me. I can't get over it. They're like, it was better in Egypt when we had onions. Can you imagine wanting an onion so bad that you would rather be a, in slavery again? It's the stupidest like human thing. Like in, when I read the Bible, like they did, like people have done lots of really bad things. I like try to get my head into that space. 
They're like, you wanted to go back to slavery so you could have onions with your bread? Like that is, that's, that's a, if that's not rock bottom, that's like, that's a low. But some of us have been in that space with God where it's hard for us to see the way he's trying to provide for us because our eyes are so set on things that are temporary, that don't matter, that can't get us, that can't nourish our soul forever, that we're missing the gift giver right in front of us and how he wants to care for us. And so he says, don't you see? Jesus says, don't you see that I'm here from heaven? Jesus is explicitly saying, I am that bread. I am that bread giver. I am the God of the Exodus, the God of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I am God and I've come from heaven for you. I'm Emmanuel. We just sing about God with you. I'm God with you to care for you and meet your needs. Down in, I think it's verse 46, he says, you're going to have God teaching you. They're experiencing God's very words to them from their human being. And they're like, it would be nice if God did something kind of special to prove it. There's not a lot greater things than God can do than send his son for you. And God's son has come for you and to you. And he is not just a moral teacher or a nice inspiring story. He's not just a clever speaker. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so he is good but he is also capable. And there is nothing too big, too bad, too hard, too far, too much for the God of the universe who has come to walk with you. And you can eat and be satisfied. And so because of this, Jesus gives us a life everlasting. He says, you can count on me that you will be raised up on the last day. And so he's talking about a life after death, that even if you die physically because you ran out of human bread, you will live forever. And I'll actually make your body live forever in the resurrection. And in the new heavens and the new earth, you will live forever. Your soul will endure. Your body will endure. You will live forever if you believe in and depend on Jesus Christ. Verse 47, very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He says, the bread I'm talking about is that I'm going to give my very body, my very flesh for you. You may remember when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper at Passover, he breaks the bread and he says, take, this is my body given for you. Take the cup, this is my blood spilled for you. The greatest provision that God has ever given is when Jesus laid down his life for us. 
And Jesus died, amen, for the sins of the world. And on that cross, he took on our shame and our guilt, every bad thing we've ever done, every bad thing ever done to us, and he took it on and he died for the sins of the world and he offered his body in our place so that those who look to him would believe. And he rose from the dead, giving us a promise that we too will raise and live forever. All who look to and believe in him. And so there is eternal life, the forgiveness of sins, and every good thing in Jesus Christ and in faith in who he is, in what he has done, and what he has given us. But notice, it says, whoever eats this bread will live forever. A major emphasis of the book of John, whoever believes, whoever eats the bread. I want you to hear this. You are invited to God's table. He loves you. He invites you. You are wanted. No matter what bad thing you've ever done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter how many times you've left and come back, no matter what things have been done to you or what trauma you've experienced in church, what leaders have let you down, God said, here, eat the bread. Come to my table. See, we just had the holidays. I'm sure some of you had some Thanksgivings and some Christmases where it's like, man, did we have to invite that guy? And we just try to avoid certain topics at the table. There's an awkwardness to the family gathering sometimes, right? And we experience conflict in our relationships. And we think that it's like that with God. That it's like, oh man, we got issues, so it's hard. I can't really come to the table. And I'm, not, I'm like sort of welcome, but not really a big emphasis of John's gospel is that Jesus is both grace and truth. The Yahweh of the scriptures is both love and justice. And sometimes we get a, a, like an incomplete vision of God in our head. And so we think, well, I, I can't really talk to God until I like do these right things I'm supposed to do. Or, well, God just wants me to like get it together and do the, these right things. And he's mad at me. Or, or I just can ask God for anything and he's just gonna do it. And I don't, like, I don't have to show up or be a part of it in any way, right? And so we get, we get these like sort of half views of God. And what, what God really wants more than anything else, what God really wants is you, is you. God wants you, he loves you. And he says, come sit at the table with me, experience my presence God says, I want to sit with you. Jesus came to sit with them. And in the Passover meal, in the communion meal, he says, come and sit at the family table with me forever. So every time we take the cup and we take the bread, we announce that he is with us forever. And that we are welcome because he died on the cross for our sins and rose from the dead. You are invited and all you have to do is believe and take a bite. <laughs> and whoever is hungry should be fed. And those of us who have been satisfied by the goodness and the love and the mercy and the kindness and the answered prayers of Jesus should be offering bread to other hungry people. As one theologian said, evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. 
I was hungry. I'm not special. I'm not a superhero. I'm not Jesus. I just go to church. Like, this isn't special about me being a Christian. Like, I'm better than you. But I found bread at the soup kitchen, and you might be hungry too. That's where I go to eat. Are you hungry? And so we share our faith. We share God's love out of the humility and the posture of God. I just, I just, I just want other people to be able to eat because I was hungry and I got to eat. I serve, so in my role, I'm, I'm a volunteer elder at my church. I helped start the church and then try to raise up leaders. We have a heart. We started a neighborhood church, like a smaller church where there's intimate community. And we have dreams of multiplying those kind of neighborhood churches that are present deeply in communities. Because in our community, there's a lot of isolation and a lot of loneliness. And there's so many people that you end up not knowing anyone. And so we have this vision of multiplying neighborhood churches. And so part of that for me is raising people up and finding a way to get out of it and <laughs> starting more. Not getting out of it. I'm, I'm there committed. And if any of you are watching online, I'm not going anywhere. But, um, <laughs> but we're raising people up and we're starting new ones. And so as part of that work, uh, I also serve on the directional team for a nonprofit that ironically uh, is called MANA, uh, MANA SoCal. And the guy who started it had a great vision for helping struggling and churches that needed turnaround and churches that lacked resources. And being like, man, there's people out there who've got their five loaves and their couple of fishes, and they're not, they're not getting the Jesus miracle. <laughs> like they're just, and churches are kind of splitting and falling and not doing the work. And there's people out there that are hungry spiritually and, and physically. And how do we meet those needs? So I work with this ministry, MANA, and the ministry's given away, I don't know, about $500,000 over the last couple of years to other churches. And it starts with like, hey, here's 10 grand. And, uh, Go, go help single moms or like open up a shower for people in your community who need it or uh, start a food pantry for people in your church or it just had to be something that was doing good to people, you know? And, and not just insiders, but outsiders too. And in that process, we've said, hey, how can we come alongside your church and help you to, your pastor to not feel alone? And how can we help you have systems of structure so that your people are doing outreach and it's not all just on one person. And so we have this vision for healthy, sustainable churches and multiplying churches and economic health and spiritual health, discipleship health and justice health and all kinds of different things that go together in a church that looks like Jesus. And we have this vision for starting new ones because it's not just about us. And so one of my friends, he wrote a book and this book is called Broken for Blessing. And it's about how if Jesus was broken for the blessing of the world, that maybe he's gonna break some of what we've built for the blessing of the world. And he, Alan writes this about his church. Alan's church has planted many churches in the Orange County region in East LA. He writes, this is the story behind our multiplying story. It is the story of every small or medium-sized multiplying church. We have never felt that we've had enough resources to feed the crowds, but we've wanted to be involved in Jesus's feeding miracle. You ever feel that? God, I don't have quite enough to do what you seem to want to do in the world, God, but I want to be a part of what you're doing. We can feel that individually. Sometimes we can feel that as a church. Are we ever big enough, healthy enough, impacting lives enough to go start spreading it else? He said, we felt that. He says, but we know 
reading from his book, that ultimately Jesus, not our churches, is the bread of life. And yet we believe that planting churches is the most effective distribution system to get the bread of life to hungry people. So we've said, Lord, we are putting our bread in your hands, even though it's not that much. Take it, break it, and multiply it for the sake of others. And it has been stunning, he writes, to see many hungry souls fed with the bread of life. Because of this, I must warn you, though, this is a dangerous vision. If you want to be that kind of church that's giving bread to everybody who's hungry, it calls for the discipleship of leaders, addressing a non-committal culture head on, the tenacity to endure, biblically modeled leadership, and most importantly, prayer. Even with limited resources and through the pain of seeing your best leave to plant a new church, medium-sized churches can multiply. Sometimes we've settled for a vision of church and Christianity that is less than the amazing things that God would invite us into. And sometimes we're so focused on getting our bread <laughs> that we forget that he's got enough for everyone. And so at some point in our spiritual journey, we're called out of just consuming and instead we're called to be so satisfied in Jesus Christ that we're there to share with others. To come to a place where your burdens have been lifted and so you're there to give a helping hand, not to shoulder somebody else's burden, but to help bring it to Jesus. We found in our church, you know, we started in a deli, we moved to a rec center, we were in like a cool cafe that kicked us out, we were in uh, a school and then COVID hit, we were online in my apartment and the uh, air conditioning was too loud to, uh, while we were filming and so it was a very sweaty live stream. Uh, and then we were meeting outside in the backyard and then we reopened into a great, beautiful, wonderful space, our church is in a good spot and Everything's beautiful and wonderful. I'm so grateful for our church. You know, along the way though, something happened. I realized that I was always striving. Always striving, trying to do something for God that maybe God had never asked us to do. And somewhere along the way, I realized that we were kind of playing church. Oh, we have a nice church service and we do some good events and we've got small groups and we kind of check the box of all the things churches are supposed to do. But sometimes I would look up and go, do we pray as a first resort or a last resort? Are we really learning how to experience the presence of God? Are we slowly absorbing the ways and words of Jesus? Are we just kind of playing church? And so when everything happened and when the world ground to a halt and we shut down, we, kind of, we came back to these kinds of things. Are we raising up committed, tenacious people who just love the bread, who just love the word and the spirit and the speaking of God? And are we making disciples that are so satisfied in Jesus that they're ready to serve the world? And I think, friends, that sometimes the reason that we are not at 
a place and in a mindset to serve others and share our faith is because we are not satisfied. It's the secret. We're not satisfied in Jesus. Some of you, you like look to your left and right. Is it you? Is it you? Some of us, we're not sure if Jesus is doing the job. Let's be real here. We're like, I have these prayers. I have these concerns. I have these challenges. I don't know where I'm at with God yet. And I wanna encourage you. Eternal life doesn't start when you die. God wants to give you life in your weary, tired bones right now. He wants to meet you and feed you and care for you and nourish you and build you up and send you out. He has everything you need. Jesus is sufficient, but perhaps you are not in a space and we're not in a space where we're really feasting on Jesus. Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Down in verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They were like, eat your flesh, drink your blood. Jesus, this sounds like a cult, I'm out. He was calling, but it wasn't that. He was calling them to move past the consuming to the really living. And so his disciples understood that. He says, are you gonna leave too? Simon Peter answered, Lord, where are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And so I wanna invite you to a lifestyle that feasts on Jesus that is so satisfied and fed that you're ready to share that bread. And I wanna introduce you to a habit that Christians have used to depend on Jesus since the third century, since Origen and Augustine. It's something in Latin, Lectio Divina, it means divine reading. And here's really what it's about. It's about opening up the Bible and not just looking for a to-do list or something nice and comforting, not just looking for an academic experience to learn something, but that when you read the Bible, what if, what if, you actually experienced the presence of God. What if when you opened up the word of God, you had the word and the spirit powerfully together in such a way that you were experiencing and aware of the presence of God who promises he will never leave you nor forsake you. And so this habit, you can learn more about it. If you wanna read Eugene Peterson's book, Eat This Book, or really there's a lot of resources. People have been doing it for 1700 years, but it's just a way of reading the Bible slowly so that you can learn to hear and understand the voice of Jesus as you examine his words and his ways and all of scripture. And here's the thing, you read the scripture four times and the first one, you just read it. But you read slowly to notice the words. For example, Matthew 6, 33, uh, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. So you go, okay, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Maybe you wanna write it down. Maybe you just wanna read it slowly out loud. Hear the words. The second time you read it, you read it again slowly. And the second one, you call that meditation. You consider the meaning. Well, if I'm gonna seek first, that means I gotta make it a priority. What, what's gotta go second? Okay, the kingdom of God, what, what's the kingdom of God? 
I'll seek first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added. What, what's he going to do for me? What's he really promising here? You, you consider the meaning of a verse. So first you read it. Second, you meditate. Third, you pray. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. God, you pray. God, help me. Say, like actually say it to God. God, help me to seek you first. God, teach me what the kingdom is. God, I'm counting on you to provide. If I'm gonna put you first, I need you to keep this promise. Sometimes you're honest with God. God, I don't feel like you're gonna provide everything. I don't wanna seek you first. And you start getting real and you have a dialogue and you talk to God and his scripture talks back to you. You commune with him. And the fourth one is to contemplate. And this involves really letting it sink into your soul so that it can come out in your life. And in this phase, you read it again and you intentionally focus on the fact that Jesus is alive and present with you. That he, these words came from him and Jesus is still alive and they're still true. And he's going to be with you and help you. And so you try to, just like Jesus took on flesh, you want those words to take on flesh in you. And so you give some silence and you allow for God to speak and to convict. And in that silence, God may convict. He may comfort. He may compel. You may realize you have more questions to ask. You may need to test things against other scripture and talk to a friend who also reads the Bible and listens to the Holy Spirit to discern what's really true. But in that space, you need to give space for God, his spirit to work in you and through you and with you rather than just doing it all on your own to slow down and read the word. And so we're gonna enter a time of communion right now. And when you came in, you were able to receive uh, the blood and, or the, the juice and the, the bread, which represent the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Jesus spilled for you. If you didn't get one when you come in, I want to invite you. You can probably go find another one at the back. And in this time, I want to invite you to practice this method of Lectio Divina. We're going to put some scriptures on the screen, and I want you to read them to yourself four times. And the first time, I want you to read. The second time, I want you to consider and meditate. The third time, I want you to try to pray them. And then I want you to sit in some silence and as you hold the bread and the juice and you think about Jesus' body broken for you and his blood spilled for you, I want you to focus on the presence of Jesus that because he died for your sins, you're invited to the table and that you're sitting at a meal with Jesus because he has laid down his life for you. And I want you to experience sitting at the table with God and, and allow that presence to impact you and give thanks and take the emblems when you're ready. I want to invite you, in the words of Brother Lawrence from the 13th century, to practice the presence of God. And anyone who eats this bread will live forever. It's not the physical act of communion. Anyone who looks to Jesus for life, anyone who feasts on him will find vitality. No matter who you are, what you've done, whether it's your first day back, whether you've been coming since you were a kid, whatever your situation, I want to invite you to the table and I want to invite you to believe and to feast and let this moment propel you into a life that regularly depends on the words and ways of Jesus Christ. Father God, thank you 
for the chance to be together today. I pray that you would speak and move and guide and be our sustaining, satisfying bread. And during this time, I pray that you would meet each person here in a unique and special way. God, give us an opportunity to reflect on who you are and what you've done, and may it meet us deep in our soul. Fulfill every need and send us with open hands. God's people said, 